Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of For What It's Worth podcast. I am in Northern California at the moment. I just ate some almonds and some tortilla chips, and my mouth is still salivating. So what that means is you're going to hear me doing this quite a bit. Okay, I'm safely tucked away in a van, which is tucked away in a driveway, which is tucked away near a little cabin, which is tucked away in the mountains. And I'm six feet away. I'm 60 feet or 600 feet or maybe 6,000 feet away from the closest human being. I am in California. It's the first trip out since C-19 landed, and I will be heading back in the next couple of days back to New Mexico on hopefully small roads most of the way, depending on the weather. So this week, we're going to change things up a little bit. And I normally start these podcasts with, with, who is this for? And, you know, I label, find people that I think are out there in society who might appeal with this to this uh, podcast, or this podcast might appeal to them. But today I'm going to mix this up a little bit based on what's happening in the country right now. And I think it's pretty easy if you turn on the news every day, all day long, or you did something as dangerous and dumb as going on Twitter and watching people unravel, you could you would think that the world is ending. And I don't think it's ending. I think it's just transitioning into whatever is coming next. Now, there's one thing I want to bring up, and this is a bit political, but my goal here is not to point fingers. My goal here is to get past where we are now and to bring us together. So... The first point I want to make is uh, for all my friends out there who are Republican voters, who voted for Trump, who are more right-leaning in their, in their philosophy about life, and, and, and Trump lost. And so for those of you on the left, my left-leaning friends, now is not the time to gloat. Now is not the time to finger point. Now is not the time to say, I told you so. Now is not the time to claim benevolence and and purity in in our candidate and how pure the left is and righteous because in my opinion anyone who wholly supports either of our parties 100% is clearly denying decades and decades and decades of data that is not favorable towards your party both of our parties are wonderfully flawed so here's a message to my Trump-supporting friends, is I understand the Republicans lost the election, but I think for not all of you, but some of you, you cannot say my guy lost the election, because I think there's quite a few people out there who voted for Trump because he had the Republican sign around his neck, and he turned into being your guy because there was no other guy. That's what our system allows and does not allow for. For those of you... You, I, you, you just can't say, like, my guy lost. So there's hope for, for all of you folks out there because, and I think whoever was going to win this election was in for a really hard time and a really long run over the next four years. I think there's so many pieces of our puzzle that are, that are in disarray that it's going to be virtually impossible to put it back together by, by ourselves or from a one-sided direction. I think there's so much animosity. And what I hope is that there's some kid out there listening to this who will eventually go on to basically write our system or improve our system or make things better. So if you're a left-leaning person, don't point the finger and yell at your right-leaning friends. And if you're a right-leaning person and you feel like the world is ending because Joe Biden, who you may view as a socialist or even a communist, is coming in, which I think are both wildly inaccurate, um, I think we just need to take a step back. We need to erase the lines in, in the sand drawn in front of us. We've got to get back to an idea that there is something called truth and that there are organizations and people that are that are reliable to count on for delivering as accurate as information as possible. We need to get away from this idea of post-truth, and we just need to, to be, begin sort of reaching out to one another as opposed to pointing fingers. Frankly, it's exhausting, and it's tiring, and it's boring, and it means that we're not getting anything done. And I don't know about you, but all I want to do is work. There is so much good stuff to do in the world that it to get sidetracked on Twitter and Facebook and blah, 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 which I'm going to get to in a minute because I just read an amazing, another amazing book about this stuff, which I'm going to add to my list here if I don't forget. This is, this is fly by the seat of the pants this week, by the way, because I just jumped in the van three minutes ago to do this and I have no planning whatsoever. I just got a break in between phone calls and I'm going for it. Okay, so instead of who this was for this week, I just wanted to send out the olive branch to whether, I don't care what party you're with, who you voted for, 
we've got to get past the nonsense and the finger pointing and the name calling and the, and the BS and just get back to actually kicking ass. That's what we need to do. The hero of the week hit me like a freight train this morning. So I was listening to the radio this morning, which I love to do. I love radio. And you know the jingles? You have all kinds of companies and businesses that have jingles, and then you, the jingle gets stuck in your head, even though it's a company that you may or may not ever engage with or have any interest in, but you were unlucky enough to hear their advertising, and the jingle gets stuck in your head. That happened to me this morning. I actually don't know what the company is because the, the part of their jingle that got stuck in my head is so awesome that I can't stop saying it. And my wife just basically threw me out, which is why I'm in the van. It was a, a company that's selling some sort of indigestion aid. And there's some singer out there, some musician singer, whose only job with this advertising campaign was to sing the word diarrhea. That's it. He had to leave his house, drive to a recording studio or sound studio to have this ad done. There's a team of singers because every there's a different voice for like every indigestion, upset stomach, heartburn, whatever. He comes in at the very end with diarrhea. And I was like, so let me get this straight. That is the single best thing I've ever heard in my life is a guy singing the word diarrhea and the fact that he probably had to do it 150 times. And you know that everybody in the studio, the first 10 or 15 times had to blow it because someone would have been laughing and I can't get the word diarrhea out of my head. And I've now been singing it all morning and I go, I, I walk quickly by my wife when she's on her phone and not and distracted and I get my mouth like a millimeter away from her ear. And then as loud as possible without damaging her eardrum, I go diarrhea in her ear. And then I keep going. And when she starts taking swings at me, I know I'm, I'm just at the, the getting good point of the relationship. And how things could turn on a dime and it could all come crashing down around me. So whoever the guy is that sings diarrhea is my hero of the week. The question of the week, before we get to our points is I have a question for you that you have to respond in the comments below. I don't often ask people to do that, but I am curious. And the question is simply this. What is the primary reason you are being held back in your life? What is the primary reason that you can't do what you want or be the person you think you could be? What is the primary ingredient that's holding you back? Is it finance? Is it family? Is it an insecurity? Is it a, a bad boss? Is, what is it? Let me know. I'm curious because I love trying to help people figure out ways around the things that are holding them back. And believe me, there's things that hold me back. I'm not immune to any of this by any stretch. Uh, I'm in a pretty good situation, but I've got things that are frustrating or things that feel like, oh, if I could only get X, Y, and Z, I could do Y, which is, by the way, a very rare mathematical formula that only I know about. All right, let's get to the points this week. Number one is I bought a Fuji X-T4, a 16-80 to F4 image stabilized lens, and three batteries and a booster. And I have, uh, it has approximately the shutter has been released one time since I've had it. And I've had it for going on two weeks now. I've not had time to use it, but I will be using it later this week, which is pretty interesting. Uh, it's so far, there is, uh, it seems exactly like what I thought I was going to get. Uh, the screen on the back that everyone complained about, how the, the fragility of the screen, screen, it's not really that different from other cameras I've had. The Sony has a screen, and yeah, the Sony's probably built a little better. But still, if you banged it on something, you're going to snap it off. And if you bang the Fuji one on something, you're going to snap it off. But it spins around and then seats back into the back of the camera. So if you're, if you're worried about it, you don't necessarily have to have it sticking out the side unless you're actually on camera, you know, doing a selfie or something like that. But anyway, it's about, about the same size as the X-T2. I do like the dial at the top that has both the film settings and the still settings in one click of a click of a dial. You can switch back and forth. Um, apparently, the autofocus is really good. I'm going to use it 99% of the time for motion content, not stills, because I still have my XT2s and the lenses and and everything works fine. And and uh, the files are basically the same size. I think I'm sure the XT4 file is probably a little more refined than the XT2, but whatever. It's not like anyone's looking closely at my work. But I just wanted to throw that out there that I do have it. And now that adds, now I have like 700 cameras in the, in the van at all times. And um, I ne hardly ever get to use them. But this week, hopefully I remedy that to a little degree as I get out to work on a project I've been working on for a while, which is so cool and so much fun. And I'm not going to tell you about it until it's done.
because I'm not one of those people that feels like I've got to share everything along the way. The tricky part about this project that I'm going to go work on this week is I don't know if I can access it anymore. And if I can't, I'm going to be heartbroken because it's so much fun. And if I can, I will be thrilled. And these two and a half days that I'll be out there are going to, are going to pass effortlessly. Okay, moving on. Point number two. I think this is another sort of political thing, but it's more about legal, legal structure, is uh, people are talking about Trump going to jail. You know, oh, he's paranoid about losing because he's going to go to jail. I don't think there's a chance in hell that Trump goes to jail. I really don't. I mean, I don't know how a former president who has Secret Service protection for life is going to end up in a prison. Do they put the Secret Service people in the prison with him? Are they on the outside? Is that even legal? Is that fair for a social or a uh, Secret Service person to be, have to be around? Can they protect him inside? Is there any facility in the country where they could safely house an American former president? I don't think that's ever going to happen. And I think Trump is old. He's in his late 70s, if I'm not, not mistaken. He does not look particularly healthy, either physically or mentally. And I can't imagine the lawsuits ending and prosecution and trials and all that ever even coming remotely close to happening. So I think if you're one of those folks out there that's vindictive, that think... It, now, here's the... The flip side of this is I do think with certainty he will be investigated and I could see a huge fine coming and all kinds of, you know, financial improprieties and all that stuff. But those those lawsuits and cases take forever and it's almost impossible in America to get an indictment for financial crime. So I think for those of you out there who think this is a slam dunk deal, that the day he leaves office, he's going to get prosecuted and go to prison. I think you're going to be waiting a long time. I think you're going to be disappointed. My advice is to take that same vindictive energy and spin it towards whatever it is you're doing. And do whatever it is you're doing a little better than thinking that we're, this former president is going to go to jail. I just don't think it's going to happen. Okay. Um, what the? Holy cow. I'm looking at my phone. And this app. Oh, this is creepy. This app I'm using has taken my dialogue and has typed it out word for word into a document. Wow, that is creepy. I certainly did not do that. I've never seen that happen before. And wow, that's all I can say. Uh, I guess that brings me to my next point, which is very, very creepy and strange. Holy cow. I'm still, I'm looking at this. I'm a little bit in shock as to what's happening here. The phone is obviously recording my dialogue into a notes document and I didn't touch the phone. So the phone is because I can't touch it because if I do, you get feedback into the audio recorder. Wow. And it has not missed a word. It is perfect for word for word exactly what I've said on this call so far. I didn't even know it had that capability. I certainly don't remember ever having a piece of software that would have done that. But it's doing it. Okay, uh, that's going to lead me to a point. I just finished a book called uh, Messing with the Enemy by Clint Watts. And if you don't know Clint Watts, he, a couple of stints at the FBI's counterterrorism organizations, cybersecurity organizations, testified to Congress three times since 2017, and uh, is a cybersecurity guy, went to, went to the Naval Academy, uh, ended up as a foot soldier somewhere around the world. Interesting dude, writes about cybersecurity, and did this book about being online and fighting Al-Qaeda first, and then ISIS, and then the Russians, the trolls, not trolls, but the hackers, and and then sort of looking at Trump administration, the ties to Russia, all that stuff, without pointing a finger and saying, oh, this happened or whatever, but just like from the data side, it's fascinating. And the book starts out by saying, you know, this is for my, for my child, my kids, I don't remember the exact thing because the book is out of reach right now, but basically saying, you know, you'll never go on social platforms at all. But this book is fascinating, and I think one of the concepts that I came away with is interesting, which is Russia is amazing from the hacking perspective. The different hacking houses, how they treat people that are hackers there, as long as you're not hacking Russian citizens, you can basically do whatever you want. You're not going to, you're going to escape prosecution. They're never going to put you in jail. They're going to award you, you know, uh, probably going to pay you. They're going to give you great houses, that kind of stuff. You know, they celebrate the hacking community. But... 
there is, I don't think any shadow of a doubt now that the influence that they had in starting way before 2016, but 2016 election was like the first time that the, the plan was sophisticated enough to really have an impact on the entire American population on both sides of the aisle. But I think the thing that I took away that I found interesting was that, yes, Russia is hacking us, as are the Chinese, North Koreans, Iranians, etc., as we are hacking people around the world as well. But there's not as much need to do the hacking now because we've begun to hack ourselves. We, Russia hacked the American mindset by realizing that atomizing disinformation and presenting it to us was enough to, for us to get the ball rolling and turn on one another. And I think you can see that now with Black Lives Matter movements where Russia was stoking protests on both sides and sending people into the same communities. Um, some of those events were actually created by Russian hackers. I think you see it, uh, what's happening in politics. I think you can see it happening in everything, is that we are attacking one another without any outside assistance. And that is kind of a remarkable scenario. And I'm not really sure what the end game of that is when we get to the point where everyone gets so exhausted by it and so frustrated. Uh, you can see it with COVID, what's happening with COVID and the different schools of thought and the science versus anti-science people. Again, those, often those seeds have been planted by outside influence who are t waiting for us to, to, to implode from the inside out, which is what you're kind of seeing now. And I don't want to dwell on that, and I don't want to, I don't believe certainly that the world is all negative and terrible and falling apart. I think that we have some, cert certainly we have some challenges that we have to deal with, but uh, it's kind of, uh, kind of amazing. The detail in which Watts breaks down some of this data is what's interesting, and Again, what we know about the platforms and then the additional information that he shares in this book about specifics about platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc., and how they're being used and weaponized, um, and to, to, just, to just know how many people on these platforms know it. And the, the majority of people on the platforms admit that they make their lives worse, that they bring depression, etc., and they still use them. Which brings me to yet another point. Um, this was, there were a couple of articles written recently about Instagram, which I laugh because, again, I came to this conclusion seven, six and a half, seven years ago and just took an absolute verbal beating in the, from the photography community about not being on these platforms. And, I, you know, I did this post, many of you know, I did a post many years ago about why I deleted social media accounts. Then I had to do a follow-up post because I got so much traffic and so many comments and questions and people from all over the world asking for help in getting off of the addiction of the platforms. And I had to write a follow-up post saying, I'm not a doctor and don't come to me for medical advice and you know, go to a psychiatrist or go to your medical doctor or whatever it is that you need to get off these platforms. And this article in The Guardian was about a woman who was on Instagram and she was realizing it was making her miserable and she needed a break. So she took a break. And she realized that when she was getting together with her friends, the only thing they were talking about was what was happening on Instagram. So they would sit together in a physical space and say, did you see what so-and-so did? Or did you see how many likes that so-and-so got? And she was like, oh my God, I got to get away from this. So she took a break. And those same people started asking, where are you? How come you're not on here? And why are you not liking my posts? I keep posting and you're not liking. And you know, what's the deal? Are we not friends anymore? And she's like, oh my God, no, I'm just taking a break. And she also stopped learning about events that they were going to because they weren't advertising or talking about it anywhere else or just reaching out with a phone call and saying, hey, do you want to go here? It was all through there. And then she wasn't showing up and they thought that it was a big crisis and blah, blah, blah. And she finally gets face to face with one of these people and says, no, I just needed, it just felt, it was making me feel bad. And I just wanted to take a break. And the person she's talking to, first thing out of her mouth is, yeah, it's, it's toxic. The whole thing is toxic, but yet was going right back on it. And I am so, this is something I think about every day. I am so fascinated by this because I have never in my life seen something take over the general population like this. The only thing that comes to mind is COVID. It's the only thing I've seen worldwide that has infected the population is social media. And what it has done to, and I keep, I say this sometimes in public and I get a lot of flack for it. And people literally, I've been, people have screamed, call me names at events, which is crazy because you know you're onto something when that happens. Is I've watched it destroy a lot of people I know. I've watched it destroy photographers that were once really talented and no longer are because of social. 
I've watched it erode friends. I've watched it erode families. I've watched it erode relationships, which I see all the time now because of the politics. My wife has been friends with people that she no longer is because of social. Um, I've lost completely lost touch with people who are so ticked off at me that I will not cor uh, correspond with them through Instagram, that they've reached out and told me that they no longer want to know me because I'm not on Instagram. Let me repeat that. I have friends who I've known for decades who reached out and said, I no longer want to know you because you're not on Instagram. They don't think that's a strange statement at all They because they've donated their entire life to the algorithm. Their entire business life and personal life and all communications are now through Instagram. And they don't think that that's odd at all. They no longer read. They no longer have conversations. They no longer do anything that is not correlated to the app. They also deny every single thing that Facebook has done that's detrimental to society and culture. They will not, under any circumstances, acknowledge any of that. I actually have people that are even closer than close friends that are in the same boat, who have made a deal with themselves to fabricate a philosophy about the platforms that suits their lifestyle. I don't know about you. I find this whole thing incredibly fascinating. And uh, I can't get enough of it. And so this leads me to my next point. And trust me, I got, I got bike posts here, bike points. I've got uh, movie points. I've got Iceland and drone points coming up. I've got stuff about my mom, which is kind of funny and sad. And I've got a Rush Limbaugh thing that I want to mention. And also Adobe Max. Like, did you see Adobe Max? It's been a couple of weeks since I checked in here. But uh, I was listening to David Letterman interview, uh, what's his name? Dave Chappelle, the comedian, who I love. I've always loved Dave Chappelle. I thought his TV show was great. I thought his stand-up acts going way back to the time he was like skinny, skinny, skinny rail of a dude. Love him. Letterman I always liked, but I never really watched him that much. Anyway, they do this interview. It's long form, like an hour. And Chappelle said something that jumped out at me about the life of being a comic. And he said, when you're in the life, when you're, in, when you're living a life that is centered around admiration, the farther you go into the life, the less of you you actually have. And I was like, holy shit, that's social media. Again. And what he was talking about was the danger of this. When you're in a role where the goal is to be admired, to get as many followers as possible, or people watching your comedy special, or getting ratings for television, the more you invest, the less of you you actually have. And I think that that's really true. Because, again, I have friends on Facebook. Twitter, I can think of, I'm seeing faces flash through my mind, who are people that I used to be friends with, who are now so phony and so fake and so stupid on these platforms that I can't even look at them. And everything is a game to like, to get you uh, into their, into their camp. Okay, so moving on, well, I'm done with social, I'm done with politics. I want to talk about e-bikes. I did a bike ride a couple of days ago. Uh, I think it was Saturday. Just absolutely unbelievable ride. Not long, not hard, not far, not nothing. Just beautiful, great roads, amazing countryside, etc. Did I mention I love biking? I do. My wife, however, also loves biking, and she's a gamer, and she's the slowest rider you've ever seen in your life. I've seen people pushing shopping carts past my wife on a bicycle. It's that slow. But she's a gamer, and no matter how insufficient the ride her face is bright red, and she's panting and gasping for air all the time. It's, it's amazing. I love riding with her. So a friend buys a $5,000 e-bike. It's an e-gravel bike. No suspension, flat bar, made by BMC, which I believe is a Swiss brand. We go. Over, my wife rides it, and she's like, I'm buying an e-bike. So I go over, ride it. I'm like, interesting. I have no interest in it. $5,000 is just insane, but that's what e-bikes are selling for. So we found an e-bike called a Specialized Vado, which is, I think, 2800 bucks, And it has a battery that's replaceable. You can actually carry more than one. It has a great range. It's kind of like a commuter bike slash you could, if you change up the tires a little bit, you could do a little gravel. It's not a trail bike, but I think for her it's going to be great because she can power it up and ride into town, which is, um, you know, it's 7,000 feet. To leave my neighborhood, you're in the red zone heart rate just to get out of my neighborhood. And so if you have a bike that has panniers on the back filled with, sh with groceries and you're trying to ride from Santa Fe to our house 
it's going to take you a while. It's probably going to be a 45 minute ride and you're going to have like, you're going to have to work. And so for her, I think it's great that she can just use the assist and get over things. And these e-bikes are, and it's cheap compared to what most of these e-bikes are out there. But the cool thing about the e-bikes is that it's fired up an entire generation of people who would have never gotten on a bicycle. So a part of me is like, this is amazing. The other bad part is like, wow, this is expensive. And you're plugging it into a wall where chances are you're getting your power from a coal-powered power plant. You know, it's the same with a Tesla. If you plug it into the wall and your energy is coming from a coal plant, then yeah, it's cool that you have an electric car, but you still haven't solved the full circle problem here of how do we get away from burning coal and fossil fuel. But it's an interesting first step. If you have any data about e-bikes, let me know. I do like Specialized. They were one of the first brands to ever come out. The guy who owns and founded Specialized was tinkering with e-bikes 30 years ago. So they've been doing stuff for a long time. It has an amazing range for the price point. The bike has a quick-release front wheel, which is mandatory for the van. It has a good wide, I think you can get a 2-inch tire on there, maybe even 2 and a 2 and a quarter inch tire, which for her is going to be great. It's got fenders. It has a rack on the back for the panniers, flat bars. Uh, and it's got a pretty good, the, the assist, how the specialized e-bike works is pretty damn good. All right, one, next point I'm moving on. And again, I told you I was all over the place. So as you know, I'm now in the field and I'm producing work for a variety of different people and different objectives. And there is a fine line, and anybody who's ever done this will know, there is a fine line between making content or making photographs, or writing, or shooting video motion footage, or doing all the above at the same time, and yeah, throw in audio recording at the same time. There's a fine line between doing this and completely and utterly ruining the experience. And someone wrote me and asked, how do you keep that balance? And my point is, I often don't and can't. Because when I have such a limited time, and I have to go into the field and produce, I often have to just say, okay, yes, I'm going to be in this location for the next two and a half days, but I'm not really going to be here because everything I'm doing is about making something. And I think all of us who've been around this industry or business or have been professional creatives for a long time, we've all hit this wall at some point where you're in the field or you're traveling and you're like, oh, yeah, this is kind of cool. I'm in Belgium. I didn't realize I was in Belgium because I've been staring through a viewfinder the entire time or writing in my notebook or recording sound, shooting motion, shooting stills, recording audio, editing motion, and producing and uploading, and here I am. And so I don't have a solution. The person who wrote me that question or comment or YouTube comment, I don't really have a solution. It all depends on the demand and whether or not that demand is from a commercial client or yourself. And you can pollute your situation either way. You can, you can get in your own head to the point where you're not experiencing something, or you can have a commercial client hovering over you or multiple clients hovering over you, and you say, okay, look, I can't. I'm not actually here. I don't have a solution for that. I wish I did. If I come up with one, I'll let you know. Okay, I want to talk about Medium, the website of Medium. I know some really talented people who are putting their work on Medium, and I'm a little bit baffled by this. Um, Medium looks cool, and I do think it's a good community. But Medium will go away, and I am always curious why we are so willing to put our work on other platforms when we know chances are they will go away, because how do I know that everything else has gone away at some point? I think Facebook will go, Instagram will go, Medium will go, Twitter will go. All these will go at some point, and then you're back to ground zero. And why, if you're so talented, would you not put that on your own ecosystem? And I know, obviously, it's part because of the community factor and Medium is pulling people in from all over. And it's less hassle for people on the surface to go, oh, well, I have to go to an individual website. I get it, but I don't get it. I think if you're in this for the long run, you should be doing your own ecosystem because you can control it. Uh, there is absolutely nothing stopping Medium or anyone else from running that platform to do whatever they want to you if your work is on there. They can start charging. They could change the algorithm. They could start filtering posts. You can't do anything about it. But with your own system in sight, you can. And if someone is too lazy to go to an individual site, they're not a good reader anyway, and you probably don't even want to hang out with them. That's just my advice. Okay, very brief point here, number nine. If, if you're thinking of going to Iceland as a photographer, don't. 
number one. And number two, if you're going to go to Iceland and you're bringing a drone, please don't. For the love of God, this is a public service announcement. If I see another drone project from Iceland, I'm going to throw up. That has happened too many times in the last five years. It is now an epidemic. It's the COVID-19 of photography projects, which is going to Iceland with a drone. Please stop. Don't do it anymore. I can't handle it. It's too much. We're oversaturated. There's nothing interesting about it. Iceland looks amazing. If I was customs and immigration, I would be searching people at the airport. If you have a drone, put them back on the plane. Get them out of there. We don't need to see any more footage of Iceland from the air. Maybe do drone in your own community. That would be interesting. I've never seen drone footage from, say, Des Moines, Iowa. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's cool looking. Maybe those cornfields from above will look cool. They probably will. Maybe someone will do that. I just don't ever need for the rest of my life to ever see a photo project done in Iceland. So uh, that's it. Public service announcement. You're welcome. Okay. I have to, this is about photography. Uh, This is hilarious to me. Let me just give you, walk you back through history. I've done this before, but it's worth mentioning again. When I, 1997, I was working for Kodak. Kodak develops DCS 520 and 560 cameras, which were the first digital cameras that would do a six column newspaper photo or shoot catalog or commercial work with the 560. They were 15 grand and 30 grand a piece. I looked at this and I was like, these are clunkers, but this is the future. I better learn how this technology works because it's going to come in handy at some point. So I learned how the technology works. I leave Kodak in 99. I go back to being a photographer and I'm like, hey, I'm a leg up on people because I know how this technology works. I can get my hands on these cameras. I'm going to shoot commercial jobs digitally. And I did. And I was booking jobs because I was digital, not because I was a good photographer. There was a novelty to it. And people were like, hey, this is really cool. And wow, we can get immediacy and all these things. And I took a verbal beating from photographers who had yet to make the jump to digital. They were telling me it was too sharp, that it was too great, this was never going to last, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I think it's going to be around, and I don't think it's going anywhere, and I I think kind of film is going to be in trouble, and blah, blah, blah. And then three or four years goes by, and I'm like, "Eh, I don't like the digital lifestyle. I don't like the cameras. I don't like having to buy new things every year. And I, I miss film. So I went back to film. And those same people just bludgeoned me about going back to film. You know, you're going to go out of business, film is dead, you got to go to technology, you know, the same exact people telling me the exact opposite thing of what they had said before. Some of these people are now on YouTube. And these are photographers who once literally to my face told me I was an idiot for shooting film are now on YouTube hawking film. And they are because they're building a community. And they're trying to build following. And they have figured out that film is the hottest thing since sliced bread that's happening right now. Um, I've done, of all my YouTube films, I think the one film I did about film has 20-something thousand views, which I think is way higher than any film I've done, I think. I haven't looked at the stats in a long time. I was kind of shocked when I saw that. I don't think it was a particularly good film. But film now is really hot. But you have to understand the irony of this, of how these people on YouTube are gaming masses of people who just don't know any better of listening to these people talk about shooting film when 10 years ago they were literally verbally berating and oh by the way they would do this at public events they would do it online they would do it in uh they would write into sites and just vehemently anti anything that wasn't newest latest greatest technology digital technology i still run into it from time to time when i you know because i love film I, i think film is really cool But I will mention it, and I have friends who, if I mention the fact that I miss shooting film, they just immediately begin to ridicule you as a human being. They're not even talking about film, but they talk about your intelligence level, and you must be an idiot, and there's no reason. I guess the piece de resistance to this is that not a single person I know that hypes digital technology to that level is a good photographer. They know digital technology— and they may know the ins and outs of, of a software like Lightroom or you know any other kind of Adobe or, or Affinity or, at the time, Apple's uh, Aperture software. They may know those softwares inside and out. They just don't know how to make good photographs. And so, to me, it doesn't really matter. I am dreaming, however, of a long-term film-based project in Latin America— and I do not have remotely enough time or resource to do this right now. This would only happen if something strange happened in a bad way or strange happened in a good way. If I was able to pitch this to a multitude of people and say this could be really fun to go down and do a long-term project, and here it is, blah, blah, blah. But the odds of that happening are, are almost zero, especially now during COVID. 
Okay, moving on. Speaking of Adobe Max, Adobe Max, if you don't know, is a once-a-year event put on by Adobe. It's typically in person. I've been twice. Thousands of high-level creatives come. You pay to go, and it covers everything. Photography, illustration, design, all the new software, all the new updates, all the changes. And yeah, it's geeky. It's really geeky, but you get to see some of the most creative, talented people in the world displaying what it is they're working on. And half of it is stuff I'm never going to use. You know, Adobe XD and 3D product designers and showing how they go about their design process. I'm fascinated by that. I'm never, I'm probably never going to open Adobe XD. I'm not going to do product design, but I love learning about it. But the host this year did something really funny that I think was a shot across the bow of photography that I think was well-deserved and also hilarious, which is Conan O'Brien was sort of a, a big, he wasn't the MC, but he was a, a comedian that came on at the beginning and sort of livened things up a bit. And they were talking about breakout sessions that were going to occur later in the day. And Conan was like, um you know, there's some sessions going to happen that you may not know about that are really incredible. Like, does the magic wand in Photoshop actually cast real spells, right? So he's he's fabricating these fictional sessions to try to get a laugh out of you. But the one he says is, oh yeah, there's another one. Five photographers talk about lenses while the rest of us zone out. Okay, and I heard that and I was like, if that is not a message and a lesson to the photography world right now, I don't know what is. Now, my guess is the people on YouTube in the photo world, which are outside of the industry photo world people, probably didn't know about Adobe Max, and probably even if they did, probably wouldn't have gone because it doesn't help them build traffic. So they're going to miss that comment. But that's really what photography in, the, in some ways, in the high levels of the photo world, that is still how we're being viewed, is that we are people who talk about mindless, useless things all day long, every day, and we miss the big picture. Now, Adobe Max had programs with Annie Leibovitz, Mark Seliger. I'm sure they had other photographers. I don't know who they were. I, didn't, I was not interested in watching the photography segments. I was much more interested in watching the segments about illustration, design, and software, just to try to learn things outside of the spectrum. But I think it was a good message to us to stop focusing on our hand. Uh, it's the Bruce Lee quote. It's like a finger pointing to the moon. If you concentrate on the finger, you're going to miss all that heavenly glory. Photographers are, are constantly looking at the finger and not at the heavenly glory. And for Conan O'Brien to say that at Adobe Max, I was like, that's the best thing I've heard all day long. I think it's one, it's funny. And two, it's definitely a message needed. Now, if you listen to Adobe Max and you heard that, tell me, is that what you took from that comment? Or am I making this up? Okay, moving on, I want to talk a little bit about climate. Uh, this summer in Santa Fe, we had a grand total of three days of rain. And when I say three days, I meant very, very brief, probably half an hour to one hour at the most rain. Now, typically, for those of you who don't know, New Mexico is, is uh, the northern part of the state is what's considered the high desert. And so you have 12 to 13,000 foot mountain ranges. Uh, and the city of Santa Fe sits at about 7,000 feet. So you're high, it's dry, very dry, but during the summer you get what's called the monsoon season. And these are big storms, uh, wet storms that come off the Sea of Cortez coming north, and they slam into cold fronts coming out of the Rockies from the north, and they hit and they collide and they create these massive monsoon storms, storms that are incredibly violent and incredibly beautiful. Very intense rainfall, hail, lightning, thunder, and the most incredible electrical skies you have ever seen in your life. Legitimately, they are the best, most magical weather events I've ever seen in my entire life. And every summer, mid-July, they start, and they go from about mid-July to mid-August. That is where we get a significant percentage of our moisture for the year. They are very, very important. Well, this year, they did not come at all. We did not have a monsoon season. And the, the soil around New Mexico got so dry that the dirt turned to silt. So when you were hiking and every time there was a footfall, you would get this puff of silt out from all directions from your foot, which would then go up your leg. I would come back from hiking and from mid-thigh down, I was covered in silt. I've never seen that before. The diversion project from the Rio Grande for Santa Fe has been canceled. The diversion project for the Gila River in the, in the southwestern portion of the state has been canceled. The Rio Grande is now dry south of Albuquerque. This is huge. 
This is impossible to deny, whether you're a science denier or you think climate change is a, is a hoax. These are actually happening. How do I know? Because I've been there myself and I've seen it. And I thought to my, you know, my wife and I own a little house in Santa Fe, and we also rent a little place. And when we left California, the idea was maybe that we end up buying, selling everything we have and then buying a slightly larger house. Like our house in Santa Fe is about 650 square feet. It's really small, which we love. But if we were going to live there full time, that's a little bit small, especially because we both kind of need our own office because we both work home office now like the rest of the planet. And that doesn't look like it's changing anytime soon. So we thought, okay, we're going to maybe sell everything and then buy something a teeny bit, like a thousand square feet would be perfect with a little guest house in the back um, for any of you that want to come and visit, for my family, et cetera, et cetera. And the more I thought about it and the more I watched what was happening this year, I thought to myself, I, it's 50-50 right now. There is a 50-50 chance that my wife and I will be climate refugees before the end of my lifetime. And the reason I say that is the southwestern portion of the United States has always been a bellwether for climate change. It's always been one of the first places on the planet that you can look to see the actual change caused by the warming of the planet because everything is so razor-thin margins in this region. One slight bump in lack of rain, one slight bump in pollution landing on the western slopes of the mountain range on the snow, which makes the, sl the snow slightly darker, which means it melts off faster, which causes more erosion, which means the snowpack melts faster. All of these things can be seen in the southwest very, very clearly. And this was the first year that I realized this is a, there's a good chance that we're not going to be able to live here for the rest of our lives, that there is going to be a, a moment when they put a moratorium on building, certainly things like golf courses, which it's a travesty. They're still allowed to build golf courses out here. But there will come a time when there is simply not enough to sustain the people who are already there. And now that people are fleeing cities like Austin, which has ruined itself, um, Phoenix ruined itself, Vegas ruined itself, San Francisco, people are fleeing LA, people are fleeing New York, they're coming to New Mexico. And the problem is we are at critical mass where it is right now. And so for those of you out there who live in a place like this, you can understand what I'm saying. But it was kind of sobering to, to look around and realize I can't buy anything here anymore. I can't buy another. I can't invest in another house here. And if I'm saying that and a thousand other people are saying that, how many different industries are affected and how is this going to the repercussions of this will echo through our, our ecosystem from now? And so we have got to change our mentality and we have to change our our vision of what the future is going to look like, which I personally think is one of the coolest, most exciting things you can do. It's like when people talk about the elimination of fossil fuel, oftentimes they're not driven by, I hate people who work in the fossil fuel industry. That's not the case. They're just looking and saying, we know the finite reserve of what we have. We know it's going to run out and we need to prepare ahead of time, right? And so instead of saying, uh, we're going to eliminate all these jobs and we don't like these people. It's not that. It's We have to re retrain, redefine how we're going to do things in the future. That, to me, is one of the coolest things you can possibly do. But we've politicized it and turned it into this minefield of finger-pointing, et cetera, et cetera. I think we need a new political system in general. Did I mention that before? I think I did. Okay. Uh, let's see here. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end on this point. There's two things I was going to say, which is uh, if you make a bad photo— it doesn't matter if you made it on a Hasselblad or the iPhone 12. If it sucks, it sucks. It doesn't matter the technology or the technique. Just get over yourself. If it sucks, just pass it off, move on, and go try to make something good instead of hyping how the fact that you have a new iPhone 12. That's the thing about Apple that um, one of the things that drives me crazy. Having said that, I got an Apple update. Uh, there's been a lot of hype around the iPhone 12. And let's face it, the camera technology on mobile phones these days, whether it's Google or Apple or whoever, it's incredible. I mean, it's completely changed society. It's It's... It's been one, probably the single most impactful photographic event of my entire lifetime was the fact that you can have a camera and a mobile phone. So I'm not knocking that. But Apple does all these campaigns where they put phones in famous people's hands and they shoot terrible photographs and then tell us how great they are because they made it on an iPhone 12. I could probably do without ever seeing that again for the rest of my life. All right, I'm going to leave I'm going to leave you with this point. So what what is today? My watch is always off. Um, it's either the 17th or the 18th or the 16th. I don't know. It's one of those three days. It's Monday. I'm in the van. I'm wearing a t-shirt, pants, shoes, 
and uh, it's getting warm here. I woke up this morning and I can't explain why, but I felt physically as good as I felt in a long, long time. And remember, I've been sick for a long, long time. So my average day is would probably be considered a bad day for you. If you felt how I do on an average day, you would probably think you were sick. I have become used to that, and it's the new norm for me, and it has been for six years. So my bar is different from your bar if you're a healthy human being. So when I woke up this morning, and I had, I had a muscle milk. You know what that is? It's this thing that I, it's like a protein shake. Um, not the best, healthiest thing you can drink, but that's what I had. And so I had a little few sips of that. I had my coffee, which I normally do. Had a little more of the muscle milk, was on the phone for three hours. And then I did yoga. And I felt so good that it was revelatory. I literally was in the middle of yoga thinking to myself, oh my God, I can't believe how good I feel. I can't believe that this is what I can, I could possibly feel like. Do other people feel this way? Is this normal? Does my wife feel this way? Do my friends in this area, do they get up in the morning and feel this way? Is this possible or what? why am I feeling this way? And, and can I trace back to why and can I repeat it? And that's been one of the problems historically over the last six years is I, when I have the rare days where I feel normal, I can't figure out why. So what I came away with this morning, and I had a two-hour phone call with the director of Beyond, Rick, and we talked about AG23, the second issue, which is being designed right now. I've got six or seven people lined up for the issue three. I have verbally committed to Rick, but more so just to myself, because Rick, you know, is Rick is cool. He doesn't, he knows that we all live, we all have, um, you know, busy lives. I said, right now, AG23 is probably 5% of my life, maybe not even that much. But next year, I'm committed to making it 25% of my output. It will be towards AG23. That will be making films about contributors, recruiting people, getting people paid, assigning micro-grants, finding stories, doing research, working on promotion. I will spend 25% of my time on AG23 because I think it is that good and that important and also that different from anything I've ever worked on. And I love promoting other people's stuff. So when I came away with feeling good this morning was... That was about being more. And I've harped on this many times before, both on my site and on YouTube, about if you're a photographer, you got to be more than a photographer. You don't want to just be someone who presses the button. Those people are boring. You want to be somebody who can have a conversation about virtually anything. You want to be well-rounded. You want to be intelligent, friendly, open-minded, etc. And you got to be more. And you can easily turn on the news today and just be rattled by the destruction of what's what a seeming destruction destruction of what's happening out there and the viciousness of what's happening out there. But the truth is, if you get up in the morning and you feel good, if you're lucky enough to feel good, then you have to be more. You have to do more. I told Rick, the only thing I want to do right now is work. I just want to work because there's so much good stuff to do. And I realize I have something to offer. I have a point of view. I have a level of knowledge and expertise that can be useful to people outside of myself. And I haven't even started yet. There are so many things I want to know and learn. This Cliff Watts book about, about uh, hacking and messing with the enemy and learning. If I was going to start my career over right now, I would go into cybersecurity. I'm completely and utterly fascinated by how it works, and I know zero about it. I mean, literally, I don't know, technically, I don't know what hacking means or how it works. I don't, if I wanted to be a hacker tomorrow, I don't know what that means. Like, what kind of computer do I need? What kind of software? How do I read the code? How do I learn to code? Is coding even necessary to be a hacker? I don't know. I don't know any of the inner workings. Instead of saying, I don't know, and I'm never going to know, my brain says, I'm going to learn. I will take, I will schedule time every week to learn. Whether that means I have to learn how to code, great, I'll learn how to code. I'm still, I'm using a, an app called Lupa which I absolutely love to, to rekindle my Spanish speaking ability, which was never great, but it sucks now and it bothers the hell out of me. And I need to get back. So I'm doing Lupa every day. I'm still doing yoga every day. I'm trying to cycle every day. I'm doing Blurb every day, a multitude of Blurb things. And oh, by the way, Blurb, if you haven't noticed, is kicking ass. Blurb now has a, has a, design, uh, has a plugin inside of Photoshop to do wall art. That's unbelievable. We have updates to our, to our InDesign plugin. We have new Mohawk archival layflat papers in the layflat books. 
We have new quick design and templates inside of Bookrite when you open it for people who have never done this before that are having trouble getting started. That all came in the last month. Blurb is kicking ass. And so Blurb is more than a full-time job. It's keeping me on my toes. Now I have AG23, which is a whole nother separate lifestyle. My point is, if you feel good, and on this rare day where I feel good, and I'm sharing this with you, you've got to take advantage of it. You cannot sit around. Don't watch television. Don't surf the web. Don't whine on Twitter. Don't do any of that stuff. Go do something that will move your ship forward. Whether it's an inch or a mile, it doesn't matter. Or reach out to someone that you know and say, hey, how come your ship's not moving forward? Maybe there's something I know that can help you move your ship forward. And then when I need something, maybe at some point you can help me move my ship forward. My point is we need to be more. We need to ignore the nonsense, noise, and hatred that we're seeing online and on the tube every single day. And we just need to, whatever it is we do in the world, we need to do it as good as we possibly can. And we need to keep forging ahead and keep moving and keep learning. If you have people in your life who are pulling you backwards or filling your head with noise, eliminate them. I don't mean eliminate them, eliminate them. That's a crime. I'm talking about just cutting them out of your life and moving forward. Because, man, I feel like I'm relatively successful right now in terms of what I have on my plate and what I'm doing. But if I felt like this every day, I kind of feel like I'd be unstoppable. Like this would be, um, I would be changing the world. And that's really, I, I think that sounds obnoxious, but I think it's true. Because I have examples of people over and over again who've changed the world, individual people who have changed the world. And maybe that's what we're after here. You know, I look at what's happening and I go, okay, this is a mess, but so what? And what am I going to do about it? Am I going to complain and whine about it? Or am I going to go out and kick ass in whatever I'm doing and get other people on board and help them kick ass? And we move forward and turn ourselves into a kick-ass society. That's what I think. That's what I want to leave you with. Some overwhelming sense of positivity. Whether you're a photographer, pro, amateur, whether you're working in, in oil and gas, or it doesn't matter what your profession is. Just go kick a little ass, and I'm going to leave you with that. That's 51 minutes, and I've got to jump onto another phone call and uh, do 150 other things. So anyway, I appreciate you tuning in. I know this one was kind of a rambling mess and all over the place, but just think, let me just leave you with this. Diarrhea. That guy is out there, and he's collecting royalties for singing the word diarrhea. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.